A lot of new stuff happening today. New Sunday school classes. If you didn't make the Sunday school hour, uh, we encourage you to check it out next week. Uh, some, some good classes happening. And uh, so we uh, would love to have you be a part of that. Our children's church kicked off last week with its uh, new curriculum and uh, heard a lot of good feedback uh, from that. So excited, excited about what God's doing here. If you're visiting with us this morning, please take time to fill out a visitor card. We'd love to have uh, your contact information and keep you informed of events coming up. Uh, I know you've heard some of the announcements already this morning. Um, be sure to grab your flyer off of the table. Everyone needs to take some flyers for our upcoming apologetics conference. And uh, looking forward to that. And don't forget, tomorrow night, hope to see a lot of folks out for the E412 class. And uh, this semester is on apologetics. And so a lot of good things happening uh, as well. Next week, uh, I want to... Um, I invite you back. We have our new members will be joining, Lord willing, next week, and also a baptismal service. So uh, plan on a special Sunday morning next week, and uh, be praying about that. Be praying for our new members, and we're excited uh, about, again, what God is doing here. Take your Bibles, turn to Luke, the Gospel of Luke. We continue our study through the book of Luke. As you know, we've been systematically, verse by verse, line by line, going through the Gospel of Luke. And we find ourselves this morning in chapter 7. Chapter 7, and we'll be in verses 36 through the end of the chapter. And this is one of those passages of Scripture that um, just really speaks to me. Uh, you know, certain passages, as you study, as you go through the Word of God, there just seems to be certain uh, stories in Scripture, certain narratives, certain uh, passages that just seem to really resonate, connect, if you will. And God uses those at different times in your life to speak to you. And, and this is one of those stories that uh, early on, there, there's a phrase in, in here, to basically, to sum it up, paraphrase, to him who's forgiven much, loves much. And this is one of those narratives we're going to look at this morning that speaks of God's grace that reaches down deep into the pit. And those of you who know me, you know my testimony, and that is my testimony, that I was deep in the pit when God's grace reached down to me. And so this is one of those stories today as we look into the Word of God. Um, I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know where you are in your walk. But uh, I, I trust and pray that today God's grace, I know it's sufficient, and I pray and trust that the Holy Spirit will use today's text to really encourage you and really speak to your heart. Look, if you would, in, in Luke chapter 7, verse 36, and let's begin our reading there. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, 
This man, if he were a prophet, he would know who and what manner of woman this is who's touching him, for she's a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she's washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Heavenly Father, I I pray this morning... Lord, I need your grace. I need your power to preach and teach the truth of your word. Uh, Lord, I cannot do this in my strength. I need your strength. And so, Lord, I ask for your Holy Spirit to just uh, anoint me today, fill me, use me, Lord. Um, I yield myself as a vessel. Uh, Lord, I ask that you would open our, our ears to hear. I pray, Lord, that you would remove any distractions. And Lord, I ask that the Spirit of God would search every heart that's here and every heart that's listening via the radio. And Lord, that you might use your word, that you might use the love of Christ to reach those in need. And so, Father, we give this to you, again, asking for your presence, asking for your power. And we ask it in the name above every name, in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now, at first, a lot of folks, they read this story and they confuse it with the story over in Matthew 26. And there's a lot of similarities. There are a lot of things that uh, a lot of times people will group this together. Uh, There's a song out by C.C. Winans, a beautiful song. I was going to try and uh, play it today and I didn't get it downloaded, but if you get a chance, check it out. But the song's not theologically correct, but we don't get our, our theology from songs or movies. We get our theology from the Bible. But a lot of people confuse the stories and they, they combine them. And, um, and us being good students of the Word, we don't want to do that. We want to keep things uh, in context and explain it in context. Um, but the, the story of, of the woman anointing Jesus in Matthew 26, if you read that account, she anoints His head. 
Here you find the lady anointing the feet. Mark 14, John 12 are similar passages of Matthew 26, but it's not the same story. It's actually another place and it's different people. And so I want to, from the beginning, make sure that you understand uh, because a lot of people in explaining this story and sharing this story combine the two, and we don't want to do that. Um, uh, one of the other things that, that's different in the two accounts, and I'll give you some, some of these things that, that make, make it very clear, in the other three Gospels, it's in the south, it's in Judea. And this happened in Galilee. Uh, and it happened, uh, well, the other accounts happened much later. In fact, right before Jesus went to the cross. Um, in this story, and this is probably one of the biggest differences, the host in the home in this story is Simon the Pharisee. And the reason most people confuse the two, because in the other accounts, it's Simon the leper. And uh, so, again, want to make sure that we understand and are clear in these accounts. Um, think about what's been going on up to this point. Dr. Luke has been recording and writing this out. He's been laying out the evidence that, that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is God incarnate. And up to this point, there's been a mass following, a group of people who, who've uh, been following Jesus as a teacher and listening. And the scribes and the Pharisees have also gathered. They've gathered to bring accusation. They're building their case. They're taking notes, if you will. They're trying to catch him in his own words. And so we see this account here where a Pharisee says, Jesus, I'd like to invite you to my house to eat. Now, uh, I don't think there's any reason to assume that this was a friendly Pharisee, that he maybe was searching or seeking. I think he was inviting Jesus to gather some more info, some more intel, if you will, that they might accuse him with. But, even with that said, this is a great story that illustrates that Jesus not only cared for the sinner, don't miss this, he cared for the Pharisee. As we go through this account today, you're going to see evangelism taking place. Evangelism focused towards the Pharisee. Because I believe the lady's already saved when she comes to the, comes to the, uh, to the room. Now, again, that's, you can take away from it as you want when we go from here. Uh, I'm not really concerned, and I'll tell you this, I'm not really concerned with when she got saved, but the fact that she did get saved. All right, so let's don't strain it in that. And, and by the way, uh, you know, sometimes people uh, often will struggle with this. I remember one time we had the privilege, my, my wife and I, we were doing youth ministry, and this young lady, she was up for baptism. And we began to talk, and I wanted to make sure that she understood what baptism was, what baptism was not, and we began to share the gospel with the young lady to make sure she understood that this was, again, something that we do in obedience as a believer. And I'll never forget, the, the young girl just broke into tears. And she wasn't sure of her salvation. And so we showed her some passages of Scripture, and, and praise God, he, he used that to give her assurance or gave her the understanding of salvation. All I know was she left there, and she was just elated, and she was grateful, and she was thankful. And she got home, and it was funny, she calls me at about 10.30 at night. And she says, hey, uh, Pastor Jeremy, I just wanted to call you. When I got home, I talked to my mom, and she said, I didn't get saved tonight. I got saved when I was four. And I was like... Okay, and, Yeah, and because she told me that, she says, don't you remember, Diana, we pulled off the side of the road and I led you to the Lord. 
Well, I wasn't going to compete with mom's pride. So I just said, well, Diana, let me ask you a question. Whether you were four or whether it was tonight, do you have it settled? She said, yes, sir. I said, well, then that's all that matters. Look forward to baptizing you next week, you know. And so, again, look, I don't want us to get caught up in this as to whether the lady was uh, saved before she got here, whether she got saved that night. Uh, the point is, when she left, she's a different lady, right? And the question is, though, what about the Pharisee? Well, let's take a look again at the text and see, see what unfolds for us. You remember now, the scribes and the Pharisees, they've already collectively determined that this man, Jesus, is a blasphemer. They've already determined that. At this point in Luke's writing, there's no doubt that they already have labeled him a blasphemer. They're just trying to get more info. They're trying to get more evidence so that they can bring that accusation. He's a blasphemer in their eyes because he forgives sin. Who can forgive sin but God? Remember when we did that, that series, when we went through that section of Scripture, uh, they're exactly right. Only God can forgive sin. Hence the reason Jesus is God incarnate, a message they obviously missed. They said, uh, you know, uh, this, this man, he, he sets himself equal with God. So they had already kind of uh, labeled him a, as a blasphemer. But notice the scripture here. Notice verse 36, what begins to happen. Here's this, this Pharisee, and he asked Jesus over to the house to eat. And he says when he went to the Pharisee's house, he sat down to eat. Now, some things you need to understand that, that took place in this day. The Pharisee were the elite, the religious elite. In fact, there were probably only several thousand of this type uh, of, of Pharisee. These were the standard keepers. These guys were the ones that people looked to and kind of measured their morality and their stand against them instead of the God of the Scriptures. Hence, all of the man-made traditions that have crept into that point. And so when a Pharisee had somebody over to, to their house, and then this was probably most likely, you know, after Jesus has taught somewhere, and it wasn't uncommon for the rabbi to be invited over for a meal, um, and it's not unusual today to invite the pastor over. But anyway, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, you knew I wasn't going to get by that one without throwing it in anyway. But, but no, they took and would invite Jesus, uh, and he invited Jesus over, whether it was in the afternoon, whether it was the evening, not really important. He goes to the house of the Pharisee, and it's not uncommon, as was customary in the time, when the elite or the public figures, um, the rich and famous, the popular, whoever, would have a meal, it would be open in the sense of the people of the community were allowed to gather in and stand quietly against the walls to listen to the conversations. Now, they weren't invited to the table. Only those elite ones were invited to the table. But it was sort of a form of entertainment. It was a, it was a customary thing. And so, uh, you know, those that were curious about what conversations might be taking place, you know, today we got tabloids and, and, and you know, television, but they didn't have that back then. So the way they get their information is they would just gather in and some of the community people would gather in and just stand against the wall. And sometimes the poor would come in hopes that maybe when the meal was done, some of those leftovers would get to go home with them. And that was also a practice at times that they would do their religious duty, you know, and, and share some of those scraps. And, and so here are these people from the town gathering in, no doubt. 
standing in the the darkness and the quietness of the room. It's also important that we understand that when they ate in those days, it wasn't like what we eat, it's set up at a table. They would actually lounge, especially if it was going to be one of those dinners where there was to be conversation and there was to be folks gathered around because they're going to be there a while. And so what they would do is they would kind of lay out and kick their feet down at the other end and they would have these pillows that would kind of prop them up on 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 an arm or shoulder so that they could kind of rest to the side while they would dine and speak. That's a good thing because also during those days... Uh, when they would travel, most likely they were wearing sandals of sort. Their feet would get extremely filthy. If there's been any rain, their toes would be crusty with the mud and, and uh, probably a little stank, you know, going. So you, nobody wants that at the dinner table. And, uh, you know, sometimes you'll hear parents tell their kids, go wash your hands, you know. Uh, they were there, they would say, go wash your feet, you know. And so it was customary to uh, put the feet as far away from where you would eat. And uh, folks were thankful for that. So here's Jesus reclined at this table with the Pharisee. And uh, no doubt, folks have, have gathered there to observe and to listen because we know Jesus has been teaching and there's a mass of folks following Him at this point. Notice verse 37. And behold... Okay, this is drawing our attention. Something... Climactic, something big is getting ready to happen here in, in this narrative. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. Now let's unpack that passage. Here's a woman in the city where Jesus is. And this isn't just a normal woman. The Scriptures refer to her as a sinner. Now, that's probably a polite way of saying she was a prostitute. And she obviously practiced her trade there in that city. She was a woman known in that city. So... She knew, she heard Jesus was going to be at this Pharisee's house. This is where and why I think she's already converted. Now, maybe not, and that's fine. Again, I don't want to make a big deal of it. But my personal take in my study is I believe it's somewhere along the way she listened to Jesus, she heard Jesus, she was convicted, she was brought to a point of repentance and faith in Christ. Maybe, maybe not. We'll continue to unpack this text as we go, but... I know this, she knew Jesus was going to be there. So she at least knew Him in reputation. She at least knew about Him and heard about Him. And she knew enough to know that she was going to take this alabaster flask there. Now why is that important? Well, to understand this, we need to know what is an alabaster flask? Well... Let me give you some explanation on the alabaster flask. An alabaster was a stone commonly found in Palestine. It was a hard stone resembling white marble and is referred to as one of the precious stones used in the decoration of Solomon's temple. If you want a reference on that, that's 1 Chronicles 29.2. 
It's also in Song of uh, Songs, the beloved man is described as having legs like alabaster columns. That'd probably be mine, because if you've ever seen me in shorts, they're pretty white like marble. I'm just saying. They don't see a lot of sunlight. Well, they do see a lot of sunlight, but it just don't help. (laughs) So these were also known as pillars of marble. If you have an NIV, KJV may refer to them as that. Uh, So the container used to carry the perfumed oil was made of a white marble-like substance. Now, Morris goes on and says this about the flask, the alabaster flask. It had no handles and was furnished with a long neck, which was broken off when the contents were needed. So if it's going to be used, it's only going to be used once because it would be broken to be used. And this is important. I'm going to talk about that here in a second. We may fairly deduce, Morris says, that this perfume was costly. Jewish ladies commonly wore a perfume flask suspended from a cord around the neck. And it was so much a part of them that they were allowed to wear it on the Sabbath. Now, it's interesting because in researching this, and there's different customs in regards to the use of the alabaster flask. Some of yours may refer to it as a box, but again, they have found thousands of those in in archaeological digs of those worn around the neck. And again, the idea though is once this thing's broken, the contents have to be used at that point. Now, I found this very interesting because a lot of times was common practice in the day is a father would oftentimes give to his young daughter the alabaster flask. And it was to be used at her wedding night. It was for her husband. Now think about this in context. Who's this woman? She's a sinner. She's a prostitute. But yet she still has her alabaster flask. In fact, you know what's interesting? I, I, I found this out. I, I was like, man, I, I wanted to print this out. Even still today, there's a company that actually makes these. Listen, this is their promotional. I'm going to read you their advertising. I'm not necessarily endorsing this, that you go buy this, but I just found it very, wow, that this is still put forth. Now, they, they get a little theological error in here. I've already explained to you about that. We won't hold it against them. They're just selling alabaster flask. But anyway, here's what they say. This is from the Alabaster Box Company. The alabaster box has become a symbol of surrender and devotion to God. It symbolizes this through the testimony of Mary's offering of her alabaster box of anointment to the Lord Jesus. Again, no indication that this was Mary Magdalene. A lot of people think it was. I don't necessarily think you have to hold to that. Um, but anyways, through this story they say, Jesus, when she anointed his feet before his death, Matthew 26, 7, which is incorrect, but anyway, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment and poured it on his head. They got that part right, but they got the other one wrong. Anyway, he sat and ate meat. In ancient times, here's what I want you to hear. In ancient times, it was not uncommon for a young woman to acquire an alabaster box filled with precious perfumed ointment. The precious gift would often be presented to the young girl's husband as a token of her commitment to him. This custom has been lost for hundreds of years. 
but can easily be taught to young people today. Young ladies, again, can display and take part in this beautiful picture of commitment to purity and devotion to God. This can be illustrated beautifully by by making the presentation of the alabaster box with its precious ointment during the wedding ceremony. Like the original alabaster boxes, the alabaster box is designed to be opened only once. This is done by breaking the seal that holds the lid on. Unlike a white wedding dress that is rarely seen before or after the wedding ceremony, the alabaster box can be given years in advance, using it to encourage young people to a higher standard. After the wedding, it can be displayed as a reminder of the commitment that has been made as well as a testimony to the next generation. I thought that was pretty cool. I mean, you know, we see the purity rings and things like that, but you know what? This was, again, Jewish practice. Now, also, we know sometimes this was also used in the burial um, ceremonies as well, but, but I find this one very intriguing, especially in today's context of our, of our study. I mean, here is this sinner, this prostitute. That's somebody's, somebody's little girl. You know, we all have dreams and aspirations for our children. But sometimes they don't choose the path that we might want them to choose, right? But do you think the love of a father... Changes? Not if it's a good father. And so, that's, that's something we want to see in the text here as, as we continue on. Notice, if you would, as we, as we press forward. Here's this woman. She's, she's a sinner. Um, but you know what? We're all sinners. And, um, uh, but, but the interesting thing about this woman and what makes this behold statement is here's a prostitute who practices her trade in the city, and she has the audacity to go into a Pharisee's house? Oh, no, this is big trouble. I mean, this you talk about unclean. The Pharisee, the religious man, how dare this woman come into his house? The woman from the city, she knew Jesus was there. And she brought her alabaster flask of fragrant oil. Notice verse 38. She stood at his feet. Now, whether or not it was so crowded she couldn't get to where his head was, because remember, his feet would be stretched out. Don't know, don't say. But all we do know, she's standing there at his feet, over his feet. And as she stood there, she she began to weep. She was weeping. Again, I personally think she's standing there weeping because she had met Christ. She had heard the gospel preached. She knew. She had repented. She had put her faith and trust in Christ. And now she actually had the opportunity. The one thing that her daddy gave her as a little girl that she held on to, hoping one day someone would capture her heart, hoping someday somebody she could love. And yet she had given herself away to so many men, but never once finding true love. And now she experienced the forgiveness, the love, the grace of God. And I think she came there intentionally with that alabaster flask because she wanted to anoint Him with that. 
She wanted to present that to Him. The one that she now knew. The one that she now loved. The one who had her heart. And so, you notice, she brings it. She stands at His feet. She's weeping. And I think as she, she, she began to weep, tears are, are beginning to stream down her face and they begin to drop onto the feet of Jesus. Martin Luther referred to this as heart water. This was heart water. And as this water began to drip from her face and no doubt began to to come more frequent, she looks down and she notices with every spot that dropped that it removed dirt, it removed mud, and she noticed they hadn't even cleaned his feet. I mean, you talk about a social taboo which I think reveals a lot to where this Pharisee was in regards to his honored guests. Wasn't very honored. He, didn't even have, he, he wouldn't even have his feet washed, which typically wouldn't have been the Pharisee who washed it. It would have been one of the servants who washed it, and it would have been customary for them to, first thing, wash the feet. And I imagine as those tears fell and hit those feet, she immediately realized, and so she began to wash his feet. Notice the text says, she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet. And this word kiss here is the same word that's used when the prodigal son returns and the father runs and falls on his son's neck and begins to kiss him. I mean, this is, this is a, a picture of a, just a, a, a strong embrace, a, a holding and not wanting to let go. And here she is crying and holding onto the feet of Jesus and not wanting to let go. And she's, she's using her own hair. Which, by the way, ladies, ladies in that time, hair would have been up. In fact, for her to have let her hair down in public like this, was grounds for divorce, according to some rabbis. Certain teachers of that time period would have said, oh, no, no, that's shameful. So you've got a prostitute in a place she's not supposed to be. You've got a lady who's, who's now let her hair down and is scrubbing his feet with her hair. Oh, the scandal. Now, let's be honest, church people. This is where we become the Pharisee. You begin to look at that person. That is disgusting. That is embarrassing. That What is she doing here? What is that lady? She's got no business being here. Look at her, making a spectacle of herself. I wonder what kind of thoughts, you know, would have ran through our self-righteous minds. Well, no doubt they were running through this Pharisee's mind. Notice what happens. She's washing his feet with her tears and the hair of her head and she's kissing his feet and begins to anoint them with the fragrant oil. Now remember, she's broken this flask. Man, this, this perfume smell, this costly perfume now is beginning to fill the air. Now, if anyone wasn't noticing, they're all noticing now. Now when the Pharisee, verse 39 who had invited him, saw this. He spoke to himself, saying, 
Notice. This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who's touching him, for she's a sinner. And here's this religious man. He's supposed to be the epitome of righteousness. He's supposed to be the godly example. He's supposed to be the one everyone's looking to. And, and in his own thought, he says, This guy, if he were a prophet, if he was somebody special, if he, if he was so all-knowing, he'd know who this woman is. Everybody knows who this woman is. You know, you see her out on the street corner. She's, she, who knows? Maybe she's approached him. I, I don't know. Maybe they've had a few dealings. I don't know. But I know this. She was known in the city. And he says, if Jesus knew who this is, he's thinking this, he's thinking to himself, if, if he knew who this was, who's touching him, it had nothing to do with her. And again, it's easy to look at this guy and demonize him, but I wonder, I wonder how many times our thoughts have gone to judgmental, looking at someone on those exterior, because we don't see the heart. You know, I, I joke a lot of times when I see uh, young teenagers who are partying and kind of on that scene and full of themselves and arrogant and think they're all that in a bag of chips. I'll usually say, there goes a future pastor. Because you know what? God came to reach sinners. And we can't forget our mission, folks. We're called to reach sinners. And guess what? Sinners may look and act a lot different than you. But they're really not. The only difference is the grace of God. You have received and responded to the offer of the grace of God. Paul said, "There, hey look, don't forget, me and you once too were children of wrath. The wrath of God once was holding on to crash down on top of me and you if we didn't repent and receive Christ as Lord and Savior. So what makes you and me different than, than this woman or that person or that guy or that gal? The only thing that makes the difference is the applied blood of Christ, the grace of God. You've received it. They haven't. So why not offer it to them? <laughs> you know? There's an idea. And you notice in this text, Jesus is getting ready to do just that, not to the sinner necessarily, but to the self-righteous. So let's continue. Let's see what else unfolds here. So here the Pharisee's thinking to himself, saying to himself, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who's touching him, for she is a sinner. And you've got to think for a second too. I imagine... If you and me were there, we would probably be thinking some of these thoughts as well. We would probably be thinking, well, she's acting awful friendly to Jesus. I mean, she's like really acting friendly to Jesus. And I know her reputation. I mean, I'm just, you know, I'm just saying. You don't think the thoughts would go there? Oh, sure they would. 
Just like if, 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 you know, some lady of the night was in here and all of a sudden started hugging up on one of these men in the church and just, oh, I love you, thank you. You'd be like, oh, I wonder what's been going on over there. I'm just saying. I mean, that would be a normal reaction. And I advise if a woman ever does that to you men, you do like I do. So. <laughs> and quickly call your wife over. <laughs> so, but notice, they're saying, oh, he'd know what to... Verse 40, and Jesus answered... I love this. The guy's not asking any question. <laughs> He's not asking a question. He said to himself, if he knew, if he knew what kind of woman this was. Oh, you want to know what I know, Simon? Let me tell you what I know. (laughs) He doesn't say it that way, but boy, listen to this. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. (laughs) Roll, roll, you know. Notice what he says. Teacher, say it. You know, he's just had this thought, you know, and then he's, just, oh, yes, he's, I'm sure he's putting on the show for his guest. And yes, Rabbi, yes, please say it, say it, sir. So Jesus goes in immediately, verse 41. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. Boy, don't you love this? I mean, look where Jesus is going with this. Oh, you want to talk about this lady? Let's talk about you. There's two debtors. He says, there's two debtors. One owed 500 denarii. All right? And uh, by the way, each denarii was worth about a day's labor. So this is a large sum of money. So one creditor, uh, he, he owed, all right, he, this creditor had two debtors. He owed 500. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. So you got one owes about a year and a half worth of work. And one owes about 50 days worth of work. Verse 42, and when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Can you imagine? Hey, this is Discover Card. We're just calling to let you know you don't owe us anything. Don't worry about it. We've forgiven it. Have a blessed day. Bye-bye now. Can you imagine that? Home mortgage calls up. Hey, I just wanted to let you know your home mortgage, don't worry about it. It's covered. Forgiven. Have a good day. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of get the idea, right? So here, here this guy, Jesus begins to tell the story. He says, um, uh, he asked the creditor, who's the two debtors, owed 500 for 42, and when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Jesus says, tell me, talking to Simon, tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? There's your question, Simon. Which of them is going to love him more? The one who was given a year and a half or the one who's 50 days? Who's going to love him more? It's forgiving their debt. Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. Now, what do you think? (laughs) Circle that word suppose. What do you suppose he said suppose? I don't know. I can only speculate here, but this is fun. You know, this is fun, sanctified speculation. I think either A, he's saying smart aleck, little smart aleck Pharisee, I suppose, you know. Or maybe it wasn't that. Maybe it was B. Maybe it was 
that he was afraid <laughs> he's going to get it wrong. All right, they set me up. This has got to be a trap. Why would he think that? Because that's exactly what he's been trying to do to Jesus. So that's probably likely. He's probably thinking, uh, he's trying to get me. I'm going to get him. I'm, I'm, well, I, I suppose, either way, I suppose the, the one who he forgave more. And he said to him, you've rightly judged. You've rightly judged, Simon, in that scenario. The one who's been forgiven much is going to love much. Notice verse 44. Then he turned to the woman down at the end of his feet, washing his feet, scrubbing with tears flowing, hair scrubbing his feet. He turns to the woman. He's just been engaged with Simon in this conversation. And he said to him, you've rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss. And it's customary. Still is in some parts of the world when they come in, they kiss them on the cheeks. You gave me no kiss. But this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. Verse 46. You did not anoint my head with oil, which was often customary as well. But this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. In other words, you didn't use olive oil in my hair. But this lady's used fragrant oil. Costly, expensive, perfume. No doubt, everything she had in her life, this was it. This was worth more than anything she owned. And yet she's pouring it out on his feet. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Past tense. Go in peace. Wow. And what an illustration unfolding right there. I would have loved to just been one of those guys in the room standing up against the wall watching this. Jesus is evangelizing the Pharisee too. There's two debtors. There's two debtors. 
No doubt, though, as is indicated with others, who is he to forgive sins? We better write that one down. That's another time he's blasphemed. In their minds, that's what they're thinking. So, conclusion. Application. Here, this lady, she took the most important thing in her life and poured it out at the feet of Jesus. You know, because I can, I can imagine if that, if that is the context, the historical context of, of the custom of the flask. And here's probably... A young girl, for whatever reason, chose this path, but this young girl was somebody's daughter. And those of you who have a daughter, you can, you can imagine. This was entrusted to, to his baby girl at a young age in hopes that one day when she finds true love, she would break this flask. And yet, Though she had been with many men, had many sins, her heart probably still longed to be loved. And you know, there's a lot of hurting people out there. And they may be hard on the exterior, they may be worn and rough from, from, the, from the struggles and the problems of sin, but I can tell you this, they want to be loved. There's a part of them that is seeking their self-worth and they're seeking it in the wrong places. And you know what? You're an earthen vessel that holds a treasure within you. And you need to oftentimes be willing to pour that out and be able to share that with others that they might receive the love of Christ. But I also look here in the context of this and I think of an application and I look at our own lives and I think of what's important to you? What is important to you? Are you holding on to that? Or have you surrendered it at the feet of Jesus? Because I believe there's a lot of things in our life that we hold near and dear that God can remove or take away at any moment. I was at the hospital Friday visiting with my aunt. By the way, thank you for your continued prayers. She had surgery, another surgery Friday. She's recovering, still in a lot of pain, probably going to be in for another three weeks at best. There's three daughters that are grieving because their daddy was killed in a motorcycle accident a week ago, two weeks ago. None of us are promised tomorrow. Some of you can relate to that. You understand that. What are you holding on to? What's so precious to you? Why not be willing to lay that at the feet of Jesus? Let Him take your life. Do with your life what He wants to do. That's surrender. Romans 12, 1 and 2, we've talked about that in our Sunday school. We're going to be getting into it in our Sunday school. Again, the church, us as believers, if we could get to that, just that part, willing to surrender what's so near and dear to us at the feet of Christ, transformed life will be the result. 
I think there's a lot of people in this room that are saved on their way to heaven, but I think there's very few that are truly surrendered. I think there are very few in the churches across America that have fully understood what it means to be surrendered. I give up. God, everything that's most important and most precious to me, I lay at your feet for you to do with what you want to do. And I can imagine what it would look like if that revival swept across America, across the world. She used her own hair, the very glory of a woman. That's what the hair represented. It was the glory of a woman. And she was willing to wipe his feet. And the glory of your life belongs to Jesus Christ. What is it? Give it to Him. Let Him do with as He sees fit. Listen to what Watchman Nee says in regards uh, to this. The alabaster box must be broken. The Bible tells of the pure spikenard. God purposely used this term pure in His Word to show that it is truly spiritual. But if the alabaster box is not broken the pure spikenard will not flow forth. Strange to say, many are still treasuring the alabaster box, thinking that its value exceeds that of the ointment. Many think that their outward man is more precious than their inward man. This becomes the problem in the church. One will treasure his cleverness, thinking he's quite important. Another will treasure his own emotions esteeming himself as an important person. Others highly regard themselves, feeling they are better than others. Their eloquence surpasses that of others. Their quickness of action and exactness of judgment are superior, and so forth. However, we are not antique collectors. We are not vase admirers. We are those who desire to smell only the fragrance of the ointment. Without the breaking of the outward, the inward will not come forth. Did you hear that? Let me say that again. That, that um, without the breaking of the outward, the inward will not come forth. Thus, individually, we have no flowing out, but also the church does not have a living way. When they should... We hold ourselves as so precious if our, outward con- if our outward contains instead of releases the fragrance. The Holy Spirit has not ceased working. One event after another, one thing after another comes to us. Each disciplinary working of the Holy Spirit has but one purpose, to break our outward man so that our inward man may come through. Yet here here is our difficulty. We fret over trifles. We murmur at small losses. The Lord is preparing a way to use us. Yet scarcely has His hand touched us when we feel unhappy, even to the extent of quarreling with God and becoming negative in our attitude. Since being saved, we've been touched many times in various ways by the Lord all with the purpose of breaking our outward man, whether we are conscious of it or not. The aim of the Lord is to break this outward man. Watch me knee. Man. Do you understand that? Do you know what God's desiring to do, what He's wanting to do in us and through us? But the problem is self is in the way. 
Self is on the throne of our life. You know, one thing I also get out of this as a way of application, a way of conclusion. Simon thought to himself, and yet God answered. You know, God knows the heart and thought of every man and woman here today. He knows it. In the parable, the, 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 the men were debtors. There were two debtors. You know, you're, you too are a debtor. I am a debtor. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, don't be a religious sinner seeing only the sins of the others like a Pharisee. Realize your own sinfulness before a holy God and be broken to repentance at the feet of Jesus. You know, sometimes as a church, if we're not careful, we can become like Simon the Pharisee. Turn with me if you would, and this will be my last verse. Revelation. Chapter 2. The Apostle John writing, under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. You've tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have preserved and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. I mean, this church is doing pretty good, isn't it? I mean, it's easy to say, community, we've done pretty good over the years. Praise the Lord. To God be the glory. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you've left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. You know, community, we have been blessed over the years. But we had better remember our first love. And we need to, like this woman, and no doubt this was her first love, we need to be at the feet of Jesus Christ daily. And we need His grace because His grace is sufficient. And let's be mindful of those around us that are like this woman, that are like the Pharisee, that simply need the love and grace of God. Let's pray. Father,